Hi, this is Chris Castle, and you're listening to Your Morning Coffee, the podcast with Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchert. Weekly music news for the new music business. For music business worldwide, numbers that will come to define the music business in 2023. From Hypebot 2023 Music Predictions, from CD Baby's Kevin Bruner and Chris Robley. And from Digital Music News, how to get your music on Spotify playlists. Hmm. Does anybody else care about that, Jay? That's really weird that that's an article. <laughs> is that a thing? I guess it is. Apparently it's a thing. Well, here we are. It's 2023. Jay and I are ready to talk your ears off. So we're happy you're here. What do you say we get going on the podcast right about now? Stand by for transmission. This is London Calling. Wake up! Your morning coffee is on the air. 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 Standing by. Your morning coffee. The weekly music news for the new music business. It's the highly curated, agitated, advocated, moderated, and liberated digital music information that you need to know. We are your digital music authority. Now, from our studios in Hollywood, California, here's your hosts, Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchart. Well, Jay, the song goes, it never rains in California, but boy, it's going to rain again tonight and tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And but man, it pours. Yes, it does. And it's we 2023. It. Oh, we needed it. Absolutely. We still need it. So I'm really excited that it's happening. And Yeah, oh me too. Goodness. Very, very fun stuff with rain here in California. But uh, we just literally did it in another episode um, without even recording. We were yeah, just we, conversing and We tend and chatting. to do that sometimes, we right? We do do that We've lot, been talking now for an fun. hour before we hit record. <laughs> and there, I mean, there's just so much going on right now and so many things that we're excited about. Um, but we'll, we'll, let's let's jump right in. The, the first thing, before we get into our stories, um, there was a piece that came out from Music Business Worldwide, and this was actually everywhere, you know, about the Copyright Royalty Board officially yeah. accepting new rates, you know, that songwriters will be paid. And that was by uh, Tim Ingham, um, who is just absolutely fantastic over there at uh, Music Business Worldwide. <clears throat> and I, I thought that it was really important that we we just talk about that just for a second, that, you know, what these increases uh, mean and this is you know went into effect January one and it's you know you hear us talk about CRB four or Phono Records four you know that's the same thing you know it's going to see songwriters music publishers paid a headline rate of fifteen point three five percent of you know a given interactive streaming services revenue by twenty twenty seven but mm-hmm. they're going to kind of roll this out in phases right 
Yes, indeed. So starting now, in January of 2023, uh, the songwriters and music publishers will be paid a headline rate of 15.1% of a U.S. services revenue. And right. then uh, it moves to 2024. It jumps up to 15.2%, 15.25 in, 2020, in 2025. Uh, 2026, get up to 15.3%. And then finally in 2027, it will reach 15.35%. Yeah. And uh, very exciting. It's yeah. really exciting and, 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 and uh, about time. And uh, remember, there was a lot of... Uh, hair pulling and angst going on as this was happening and then all of a sudden boom there was right. an agreement and yeah and, really and we things. like seeing that happen and we're hoping for more increases you know in the future and and they also talked a little bit about that tcc that we talk about that total, total content, content costs. costs yeah that calculation yes. and that really ensures that you know song rights holders which is typically publishers and songwriters that they're paid a certain minimum figure in relation to what each service pays uh, rights holders uh, for a year for those rights. You know, so for example, standalone portable subscription offering, you know, that's the typical interactive music streaming subscriptions of Spotify, Apple Music, etc. U.S. music publishers will from 2023 onwards, thanks to CRB4, be paid the lesser of either one, you know, that 26.2% of TCC, total content mm -hmm. costs uh, across all music rights or an aggregate amount of a dollar and ten cents per subscriber for that period. So really right, good, right. Uh, really good news for songwriters. It is, and it's it's uh, well deserved, and it's a good way to start twenty twenty three. Uh, with yeah. more money for songwriters. Yeah, we, we're big fans of songwriters and publishers, and we want to see them paid fairly, and, and that's good news. The other thing I wanted to touch on before we get going here is um, you'll notice in your morning coffee for the last month or so in second cup section, um, there have been all these lists, year-end lists, you know, the best love rock lists. records and yes. you know, documentaries or whatever it is. And I love lists too, and we talked about it a little bit last week, but I'm not doing that anymore. <clears throat> but... Um, I put in a link to uh, Redef, R-E-D-E-F, Redef, mm -hmm. if you're not familiar with them, it's a fantastic service, not just for aggregating music news, but uh, any topic that you want. And they have this best of music 2022, the year in lists, where they just have dozens and dozens of these great lists that they've aggregated in one place. So if if you're still looking at those lists, which... You should be because it's a great place for music discovery. Um, check out that in your morning coffee. Best of music uh, 2022, the year in lists. And it is a joyful rabbit hole with which to climb down into when you, when you start looking at those <laughs> lists. It's I've like, discovered oh, so many artists. I mean, yes. I can't keep up with all of this this stuff that's coming out all the time. And, you know, it's so funny that I'll look at somebody's top 10 albums of 2022 and like I've heard of one of them. I know, you know. It. it's just uh, remarkable, and we pay attention. You know, it's just there's just it is just a, a such a, a a crazy huge wave of stuff of great music that's out there, and uh, you know anybody who says there's no good music anymore is uh, not listening. They're not, not trying hard attention. enough. They're not trying hard at all. Um, yes. There's just some wonderful, wonderful stuff out there, and. Yeah. You know, and like we talked about last year too, sometimes or last episode, I should say. Um, you know, sometimes it's just new to you. It's not even exactly new. right. You know, it's it's just new it, you. discovery's discovery. Whether it's you know, like Will Page always talks about rediscovery, and I know that's really important. You know, there are times when I'll you know I don't know who the artist is. Like I'll hear a song from one of my favorite artists that I haven't heard in maybe a decade, and then I'll go 
back into a deep dive into their, you know, discography and that's rediscovery. But that new to you that we talked about last week, we're constantly discovering things that have been out, uh, for a while, which leads us beautifully into our, um, this, this last thing this in the intro before we get into these stories. And there was quite the kerfuffle this last week from Rolling Stone. They released the 200 greatest singers of all time. And Celine Dion fans took issue with it. And they protested. And they, they went from Canada, I think, to New York, to uh, Rolling Stone offices there and complained. I think it was New York. And they they picketed. And it was this, this big deal. But everybody was talking about it. Yes, and I'm sure everybody at Rolling Stone was going, yes. <laughs> you know, because, I mean, it's an interesting thing. It's, it's, it's content for them, but of course, they want to be in the conversation. And that's the fun thing about all of these lists, which is that gets people talking about, well, why not so-and-so? And Do you have their it, explanation in front of you about... Yeah, I do. It's great. You know, so this is the 200 greatest singers of all time. And they said, before you start scrolling and commenting, keep in mind that this is the greatest singers list, not the greatest voices list. Talent is impressive. Genius is transcendent. Sure, many of the people here were born with massive pipes, perfect pitch, and boundless range. Others have rougher, stranger, or more delicate instruments. As our write-up for the man who ended up at number 112 notes, Ozzy Osbourne doesn't have what most people would call a good voice, but boy, does he have a great one. That could apply to more than a few people here, which is so true. You know, and that's why I'm not a huge fan of, like, The Voice and these kind of contest shows that features, of course, people that have fantastic voices. But it's not always voices that resonate with me. I tend to to be drawn to more unique voices. Me too. Well, and you know, yeah. Neil Young comes to mind, of course. You know, Neil Young's I mean, a good example. Yeah. Bob Dylan, Tom Petty. Absolutely. They don't have, you know, maybe that Beyonce, Celine Dion type of training or you know the way that they sing. But you know, for me, uh, I, I think that. It's so subjective, and I I know they know this at Rolling Stone, and when they put out this list, clearly they wanted people to react. I'm I'm just going to give you the top 10, Um, and and again, there's 200. Uh, Number 10, Al Green, wonderful Uh, voice. Number 9, Otis Redding. Number Mm 8, Beyonce. Number 7, Stevie Wonder. Um, I mean, ridiculous. Number 6, Ray Charles. Number Mm 5, Mariah Carey. Number four, Billie Holiday. I thought that was pretty cool. Number three, Sam Cooke. Uh, Number two, Whitney Houston. And number one, Aretha Franklin. Now, again, you may have a singer, you know, like I I love Elton John's voice. I love, you know, Robin Zander's voice or Vince Gill. There's so many singers that, you know, may be on this list, may not be on this list. And it's it's certainly uh, super subjective, but... Boy, I, you couldn't turn on the news without seeing uh, people talking about this Rolling Stone piece. Absolutely. And uh, that's the idea, right? That is the idea, to have the conversation and get people fired up and re- good on Rolling Stone. And I love the list. And I, I mean, I couldn't disagree with that top 10 list at all. You know, those are all yeah. f- absolute favorites of mine. And uh, what a fun thing to talk about and to see out there and yeah. we will be talking about it for a little bit longer for sure and yeah. boy it sure caused a reaction which is certainly yeah, it what sure they did. wanted 
And as we head into 2023, Jay, we must thank the wonderful sponsors that bring us to the party yes, every week because we couldn't do it without them. We do want to thank our good friends over at Banzoogle, built by musicians for musicians. Banzoogle is an all-in-one platform that makes it easy to build a beautiful website and EPK for your music. All the features you need for a professional website are already built in, including hosting and a custom domain name, dozens of fully customizable design templates, tools to sell your music and merch commission-free, commission-free crowdfunding and fan subscription features, mailing list tools to grow your fan list and send newsletters, social media integrations, and live support from their musician-friendly team seven days a week. Your Morning Coffee podcast listeners can go over to Banzoogle.com, try it free for 30 days. Just use the promo code MORNINGCOFFEE, all one word, to get 15% off the first year of any subscription. That's Banzoogle.com, promo code MORNINGCOFFEE. Yeah, and our podcast is also brought to you by HypeBot. Since 2004, HypeBot has chronicled the new music business and the trends and technologies that are changing how music is discovered, consumed, marketed, and monetized. Edited daily by founder Bruce Houghton, who, by the way, is going to be on the Music Biz uh, weekly podcast with us next week. That should be fun. Uh, With help from Alana Bonilla. HypeBot and sister blog Music Think Tank are published by live music discovery and marketing platform Bands in Town. You betcha Bands in Town, over 74 million live music fans trust Bands in Town to get personalized concert alerts, recommendations, and messages from their favorite artists. It is the number one artist service platform connecting over 560,000 artists with their super fans. Managers, labels, agencies, and artists access their own pla- uh, their own dashboard to manage and promote their tour dates across all platforms. Yeah, and we're also brought to you by the Music Business Association. For more than six decades, the Music Biz Conference has been the point of origin for inspiration, collaboration in the music business. So, join us there. You know, in Nashville, May fifteenth through the eighteenth. We'll see you there. You betcha. Music Business Association, Banzoogle, Hypebot, and Bands in Town. Big thanks. Jay and I really appreciate it. Yeah. And by the way, Jay, in case you're wondering, who, who is this Jay Gilbert guy? And why is he, why is he so handsome? <laughs> a, and why does he have these dulcet oh, tones? Uh, well, Jay, and Jay Gilbert, my good friend, who I've known, we've, we've, well, I've known you now for 24 years. 24 years. Uh, Jay is a music industry consultant. He is the curator of the wonderful weekly music, (laughs) weekly Your Morning Coffee newsletter, and a former executive with Universal, Sony, Warner Music Groups, and Fox Home Entertainment. And I got to get the marbles out of my mouth, (sighs) Jay. That's all right. It's early. Uh, take another slug of coffee. It's all right. And, uh, you know, my good friend across from me is Mike Etchart, longtime host of Sound and Vision Radio, formerly of SST Records, Warner Music, Capital EMI, and Universal Music Groups. Yes, indeed. That checkered his, uh, checkered employment passed for me. Yeah. And you were a much more stable individual, Jay, when it came to your mm, music business jobs. I don't know. I'm I don't pretty know. sure. It's, you know, when you've been around a while, you know, um, you work places. You do things. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Uh, so let's jump into the stories, Jay. What oh, do you yeah. say? Our, our first story is from Music Business Worldwide. It's five numbers that will come to define the music business in 2023. Yeah, this was a lead story in your morning coffee this week, written by Tim Ingham, um, who we are uh, big fans of. Um, mm-hmm. If you haven't listened to it, uh, the Music Biz Weekly, I'm sorry, Music Biz Weekly, it's the same abbreviation, the Music Business Worldwide podcast. Sorry about that, Tim. Um, you got to check out that 
podcast. I never miss uh, an episode. I think the last one was with Leo Cohen. Anyway, wherever you get your podcasts, uh, uh, the uh, Music Business Worldwide podcast. Um, actually, music, music Business Worldwide does two podcasts. They do, um, you know, the MBW podcast, which mm-hmm. we just talked about, you know, and they interview leading figures in the global music business. <clears throat> but they also do one called Talking Trends. And that's, uh, you know, Tim Ingham kind of dives behind recent headlines uh, about the music industry. <clears throat> and there's no better uh, resource anywhere. So uh, that's my plug for uh, Tim Ingham and the music business worldwide. It's just absolutely the best. <clears throat> so this, this really caught my eye. And, it, and again, it was a lead story this week. Five numbers that will come to define the music business in 2023. And I've always watched Tim's you know, predictions on the music industry. And more often than not, he and his team over there are pretty spot on. <clears throat> so, mm-hmm. so let's, you know, let's set it up by... The, the intro in the article, he says, you know, you know, what does 2023 hold in store for the music industry and all of its key players? Well, to be completely honest with you, we don't exactly know <laughs> how on earth could we. <clears throat> and that's one of the key flaws, isn't it, about the this wonderful industry amongst its many, many attributes. Too many people pretending to know what they couldn't possibly know. You know, they don't know the, the future of the music business. And when the future of the music business has shown itself time and time again to be one of the least predictable things in the commercial universe. <laughs> so true. Just when you think you've got it figured out, there's the curveball. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, it starts with number one, 5%. That's the number, 5%. And what is a superstar? And he says, according to Warner Music Group, this is interesting, in, in back in 2012, so go back to 2012. Ten years and ago. Back then, 10 years ago, or now 11 years ago, they said it's top, for Warner Music, it's top five biggest global superstars generated 15% of the company's annual recorded music. That's okay. physical and digital. So now, fast forward to 2022, that year's top five superstars at Warner generated just 5% of equivalent revenue. So how interesting is that? So again, to, to rewind, so 10 years ago, the top five biggest global superstars generated 15% of the company's annual, annual recorded music, blah, 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 revenue. Now, 10 years later, those top, whoever the top five superstars are now, they generated just 5% of that interesting revenue and each one of these points uh tim has a line he says you know why it matters right yes and he says that through one lens this is a story about warner music group and how its new ceo uh, robert kinsel will reposition warner music group amid the shifting dynamics of the quote-unquote superstar economy yet there's a trend that's bigger than warner music group going on here the atomization of royalty revenue amongst a far wider pool of top-tier artists, whether via streaming's globalization of listening or via the rise of the so-called uh, middle class of artists, that's kind of chomped away you know, royalty earnings that were once the exclusive preserve of worldwide pop icons. It's not a stretch to suggest that Universal Music Group's recent relaunch and investment in its global artists and label services division, Virgin Music Group, plus a rampant success of Sony Music's The Orchard in recent years, both kind of nod towards this trend. Right. So the big question it asks, though, if superstars are only generating 5% of a given major record company's revenue today, what happens when that number sinks to 2%? 
0.2% or below 1%. At that point, what even is a superstar? Right. I don't know. Super So that is really interesting. Absolutely. Yeah. So, okay, so here's another one. Uh, this is another number. So number two is $1 billion and the fallacy that, in quotation marks, the labels are taking all of Spotify's money. Mm. And so, uh, you know, the, the uh, music business worldwide, they did a piece the, the other day pointing out that Spotify is now worth somewhere around a third of, of Universal Music Group in terms of market cap value after the two companies were worth roughly the same amount a year prior. Interesting. So much of the, much of the reaction has taken the same tone. As one U.S. executive put it in a text to Music Business Worldwide just the other day, how the F are Spotify supposed to grow their value when the major labels take all of their profit? And so that's an interesting uh, argument because they're yes. they're they're saying that you know the majors are taking all of the profit from Spotify. Yet when you talk to uh, a lot of indie artists who maybe aren't doing their homework, they think that they're being ripped off by DSPs um, like Spotify. And we often remind them that you know they pay out right around 70%. And in this article, they, they were saying that Spotify's Q3 2022 results, you know, which were the last one to be announced, the company spent over 75% of its revenue on quote unquote cost of revenue, you know, a category primarily comprised of royalty payments to labels and publishers, meaning rights holders. And we remind people of this all the time. DSPs like Spotify, Apple Music, they don't pay artists. They pay the rights holders. Now, sometimes that can be the artist, but more often than not, it's a label, you know, or it goes through a distributor or whatever. So as, as Tim points out, you know, you look a little deeper and this story gets a lot more nuanced. Yes. So basically, uh, that Q3 2022 was a milestone quarter for another reason. Spotify spent an all-time high of uh, about 978 million euros on operating costs in the three months to end of September across three subcategories. One is research and development, the other is sales and marketing, and then the last is general and administrative. That means Spotify spent comfortably over a billion dollars on operating costs in a single quarter. Much of that one billion dollars, give or take, operating expenditure in Q3 would have gone on staff. In 2021, the last year for which Spotify has published an annual report, uh, Spotify employed uh, 6,600 people on average, a figure that was up over by over a thousand year over year. That's a, wow. six, That's five, a lot. Six, six, That's, That's a, a lot of employees. People. So um, why does this matter? That's the big question. Spotify-focused right. analysts expressed disappointment over the company's gross margin performance throughout 2022, despite an impressive performance when it came to subscription revenue. Related to that, in Q3, Spotify posted a quarterly operating loss of 228 million euros. Spotify's spending on sales and marketing, in particular, has long been quietly questioned by its music rights holders' partners, lest we forget that UMG continues to own about 3.4% of Spotify, mm -hmm. uh, that sales and marketing costs shot up to nearly half a billion U.S. dollars in Q3 2022. Yeah. So the big question it asks, largely thanks to analysts' disappointment over that gross margin impacting on share price, Spotify is currently only worth about $15 billion on the New York Stock Exchange. If it doesn't improve 
its gross margin soon. Could it be an acquisition target for a tech giant in 2023? Speaking of which, just for fun, imagine Twitter buys it tomorrow. What's the first thing Elon Musk does? Not going to go there. You're like that. I don't want to go there at all. But very interesting observations. And you look at the the Spotify operating expenditure in, in Q3. So back in 2020, it was 529 million is this euros uh anyway 529 up to 593 in 2021 but then it jumps up to 978 uh so you're talking some substantial cash that they're spending on all this stuff yeah interesting yeah and um like they say here you know it could be uh could be a target for acquisition you know from some tech giant uh, number three, the number is 100,000 and the battle to define premium music. Mm. You know, it's a number that's already worked its way into business lore. You know, it was Music Business Worldwide was the first to report on it, of course. <clears throat> Over 100,000 tracks are now being uploaded on average daily to streaming services <clears throat> globally. Um But over the last 12 months, you know, we've seen this different conversation and you and I were talking about this before we hit record. You know, we've seen comments by, you know, like Rob Stringer, the chairman from Sony Music Group and Sir Lucian Grange, you know, was chairman, CEO of Universal Music Group. And they've been hinting, excuse me, at a, a hope to one day see certain types of music valued higher. This is really interesting, you know, in royalty terms. Uh, then other types of music, for example, you know, in Stringer's words, the 31 second flotsam and jetsam tracks that clog up sleep, relaxation, rain sound playlists on Spotify and other services, which get paid the same per play as, let's say, the Beatles a day in the life. You know, Steve Cooper, uh, outgoing CEO of Warner Music Group, gave a memorable take on this debate in an interview with Music Business Worldwide at the close of last year, where he said, In the live music space, the price varies depending on who you're seeing and what your experience is, right? I think Mm -hmm. the recorded music space needs to be more like that. Ever since we had 99-cent downloads, there's been a tendency for music to be priced the same, and we all know it isn't equal. Yeah, so why does that matter? Well, the three major record companies... Uh, plus Merlin cumulatively had a 77% share of music streams on on Spotify in 2021, according to their own annual report that year. That 77% figure was down by a full 10% on the 87% they counted in 2017. The influx of 100,000 tracks a day to services like Spotify will surely only dilute that market share yet further. So the big question it asks... To the best of our knowledge, this is Music Business Worldwide saying that, the now infamous 100,000 tracks a day stat is in reference, at least in the large majority, to human-made music. Human-made music. So what happens when AI music-making platforms start spitting out thousands of Dua Lipa, Justin Bieber, Travis Scott clones every 24 hours, too? Won't the majors be highly concerned that Tencent Music is already making thousands of its own tracks with AI vocals and that TikTok bought its own AI music company, Juke Deck, the other year? Yeah. Well, the AI thing, Jay, we were talking, we spent just you and I talking about that for probably a good 20 minutes, half yeah. an hour. And I, if, if there's anything that's going to be likely our most talked about topic this year, 
it's going to be AI. And you hit me to un- some unbelievable stuff I didn't even know. And it's well, unreal. It's it's Look, an idiot is someone who doesn't know what you just found <laughs> out. And a lot of these things like you know, DaVinci 3.5 or ChatGPT or whatever the AI is, it's coming and it's coming fast and furious and it's going to turn this industry upside down. And there are a lot of smart people right now on the legal side trying to figure out how this is going to work. Um, you and I talked about Hyperreal uh, the other day, that Paul McCartney and Beck video. It's going to be lyrics. It's going to be songwriting. It's going to be style of how you play your instrument. This AI thing is coming and we're going to stay on top of it so everybody's uh, aware of what's going on, but it's it's going to be a massive disruption. And number four on this list, the number is 25% and the hunt for TikTok's revenue. So <clears throat> Universal Music Group, yeah, that's not a company that struggles for profitability. In 2021, the company's annual EBITDA you know, earnings before interest, uh, taxes, depreciation, amortization, um, that, that's sort of above $2 billion. In 2022, it will grow even higher, and we'll find out what that is when they publish their Q4 2022 results, which is coming soon. <clears throat> anyway, for any typical investor, figures like these would instantly translate into happy days. But shortly before UMG went public in Amsterdam in 2021, at a Capital Markets Day in August of that year, <clears throat> excuse me, UMG made a pledge to the markets. It expected to reach a mid-20s EBITDA in its midterm outlook. Outlook, In other words, UMG's EBITDA margin would touch 25% at some point over the next few years. The company currently has a way to go to get there. In the nine months to the end of September last year, UMG's adjusted EBITDA margin stood at uh, 20%, 20.5% versus 21.5% in the same nine months in 2021. Right. So here you're talking about <laughs> the money that they are making. So uh, as they say, the bigger talking point and why this 25% stat is so relative to how 2023 plays out is precisely where Universal finds the commercial propulsion it requires to bump up that margin to its target figure. Against the odds, 2022 was a great year for subscription streaming revenue growth, partly thanks to continued growth in the number of subscribers globally and partly thanks to smart price rises. Spotify Spotify saw its biggest year-over-year growth in subscription revenues in the first nine months of the year in 2022. So further price rises from the likes of Spotify will continue to pump new oxygen into the subscription streaming story for rights holders. But Universal will also know that key markets like the U.S. and U- and the U.K. are fast becoming fully matured streaming markets, mm-hmm. i.e. the hopes of finding new sources of subscriptions each year in these territories is naturally getting smaller. So why does yeah. it matter? If subscription streaming isn't going to provide UMG with the commercial oomph to hit its EBITDA targets, substantial new revenue will likely have to be generated elsewhere. So, Jay, which Mm -hmm. leads us on to our final stat here in the following query, the big question it asks, the major music rights holders, Universal included, appear to feel that they are not currently receiving sufficient monetary return from, you guessed it, short-form video platforms, namely TikTok. Much Mm -hmm. Much of this, it's thought, is because TikTok continues to pay rights holders 
via that two-year buyout deals rather than via a direct share of advertising revenue based on consumption of these companies' music. Can we now expect pressure to continue to mount on TikTok from Universal and other majors as UMG seeks sources of accelerated revenue to plump up that EBITDA uh, margin during the remainder of the 2020s? I think absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> TikTok, are you feeling the pressure? Yeah. Uh, and look, the the majors are kind of softening the ground and, you know, uh, saying things in the press. And we know that those renegotiations are happening this year. So it'll be a very interesting year to see what that relationship and those negotiations end up being between TikTok and the music industry. It's a hot topic. Uh, throughout the industry. And so that leads us beautifully into the last one, which is that number is $12.1 billion and the hunt for TikTok revenue. So this one is similar to number four, but just kind of from a different angle. You know, on January 4th, the UK's trade body for the major record companies, BPI, issued new stats reflecting how the British market had performed in 2022. One of those stats really caught uh, music business worldwide, uh, caught their eye, and that was 159.3 billion on-demand audio streams of music from the UK last year. Um, So first, the good news. That figure represented a year-over-year growth of 12.1 billion, which is bigger year-over-year margin of growth than we saw in 2021, which was like a little less than 8 billion. However, 2022's increase was still under half the size of the year-over-year growth in UK streaming consumption seen in 2020. That was over 25 billion. And around half the size of the year-over-year margin we saw in each of 2019, 2018, and 2017. So let's talk about why that matters. Yes, indeed. So why does that matter? Is I just lost my thing. <laughs> so it says, it seems likely that consumption growth on in-demand audio streaming is, as we talked about a couple of minutes ago, inevitably starting to plateau in mature streaming markets. Spotify mm-hmm. launched in the UK back in 2008, took another three years to reach the US. The big concern for music rights holders would be to see that annual audio streaming consumption figure begin to decline in the years ahead, especially if it's because Gen Z is too busy playing short-form video to listen to music streaming at the same rate as the previous generation. So the big question it asks, if audio streaming does now plateau or even start to decline in mature markets... And the appeal of short-form video plays a material role. Will the music industry have the right deals in place with TikTok at all, whoever might come after that, uh, for optimum commercial benefit? What do those deals look like? And will 2023 become the crucial year where they are set in stone once and for all? Ooh, a lot of people looking at TikTok, Jay. A lot of people. Yeah, could mean some substantial... you know, increases in, in revenue. And when you've got markets like the U S and the UK that are plateauing, that are maturing, um, you have to look for other revenue streams and, you know, also look at developing, uh, markets, but that was just a, a wonderful, um, kind of overview of the five numbers that will come to define the music business in 2023. Again, thank you, uh, Tim Ingham Mm -hmm. over at music business worldwide. Just absolutely lots of food for thought as we roll into 2023 and and boy as as we've said all eyes are on tiktok you know it's 
It is all eyes are there. So let's jump over to the next one, Jay, from Hypebot, our good friends over at Hypebot. 2023 music predictions from CD Babies, Kevin Bruner, and Chris Robley. And, yeah, um, I'm a big fan. Um, um, these guys are just the best. And, and their podcast, if you're not aware of it, a DIY musician podcast, mm-hmm. is just absolutely one of the best out there. So much great information. And, you know, um, I, I highly recommend uh, that you check it out. And these guys are all kind of you know, very, uh, um, nuts and bolts, even tempered, not a lot of hype. And I agree with so much of what they, what their predictions are. And I love looking at predictions at the beginning of the year. So, you know, one of the things that really jumped out at me is this quote, in a lot of ways, the world of independent music is a different beast from the quote unquote music industry. And I couldn't agree with that more. They're, they're almost two separate things. When you talk about developing artists and middle-class artists, that's a whole different way of marketing and touring and um, brand partnerships, sync. Everything is totally different than it is, you know, for those superstar artists or established artists. So, you know, with famous artists and even some new major label acts, waste can be a tax write-off or an opportunity for later improvement. When you have a fan base in the millions, suboptimal execution can still drive thousands of sales. At the indie level, though, when your audience may only be thousands of people, waste can mean lasting failure in real time. Yes, indeed. So they're talking about predictions. And again, we're talking about indie artists. What what will affect and what, what can we predict for indie artists here in the, in the next year? They also mentioned, though, in 2022, uh, the, the, a few sort of roundups. You know, first of all, 2022 went very quickly. <laughs> Again, we talked, Jay and I talked about this. The older you get, the faster the years go by. Yeah. But, uh, of course, there were money concerns. Uh, lots of times, you know, there were, there were with, with live concerts finally coming back, uh, a lot of artists were kind of questioning the financial validity of touring because it was at the same time we're talking about increases in oil and gas prices the ukraine invasion of course how that affected our economy so a, a ton of uh of notable artists canceled their tour plans economic strain also caused many fans to second guess their concert ticket and merch purchases which right. we talked about a lot actually we have yeah and if, yeah we have talked about that because Everything's more expensive now. Hotel rooms, renting a bus, you know, gas price, everything is more expensive. So um, they're they're absolutely spot on with that, you know, in this kind of recap. They talk about catalog getting another boost. And again, it's been, you know, we've talked about it a lot. You know, Kate Bush and Metallica from Stranger Things, you know, the cramps in Wednesday. You know, it's a continuation of that trend, you know, they point out from like 2020's Ocean Spray craze, that Fleetwood Mac thing on TikTok. But, you know, catalog definitely um, uh, got a boost in 2022. Right. And of course, talking about TikTok achieving dominance over the music industry, the app's power and influence had begun growing for years. But 2022 saw TikTok conquer audience attention, creator effect, and music industry emphasis at all at once. Uh, and then, of course, you know, we've, we've talked about how successful live streaming was during uh, COVID. But then this last year, live streaming almost completely disappeared. <laughs> so yeah. that happened. So as we now look forward to 2023, this first one really caught my attention. Oh, wait, wait. Oops, before before yeah. you jump, before you jump, one last thing on when you were talking about live streaming seemingly disappeared. Yes. 
they did mention Twitch, and mm-hmm. I had a really good lunch yesterday with a friend of mine, and we were talking about Twitch. A lot of people think Twitch is, you know, for gamers, um, and it is, but it's much more than that. Right. And there are artists that are doing very, very well um, on Twitch. One of my favorite artists to go visit on Twitch is Plasticine. But there's a robust music community, and people are making revenue and growing their bases. And I'm Good glad point. they yeah. they mentioned uh, Twitch on here because it's still a thing. Absolutely. Anyway, yeah. Sorry, go ahead, no, no, go no ahead with 2023. Sure. So as we jump into 2023, <clears throat> the first one they say, what can we expect for music trends? NFTs will be back. <laughs> And he says, well, let me caveat this one. I think NFTs will make a huge comeback when the bull market returns. Whether our economy is going to suffer a few more legs down or chop sideways for six to 12 months, they have no idea. But once speculative investment returns uh, in an uptrend, uh, all the crypto-related music industry excitement, including NFTs, tokenized fan communities, metaverse, and more, will return and stronger than ever. Because by that time, many of the confusing confusing friction points that prevented wider adoption during the last cycle will have been solved or at least greatly improved in terms of usability. Very interesting. Yeah, I I agree with a lot of that. I think that's spot on. I think that just digital collectibles um, have really um, decreased in, in value and people want more value for that. They want, for example, there are really interesting companies right now that are combining physical things on the blockchain with a digital collectible. There are, you know, digital fan clubs and box sets and, you know, virtual worlds and all sorts of great things. So I, I agree, you know, I haven't written off, you know, Web3 um, just because of uh, some hiccups uh, in the market or with uh, with crypto. The next one says that, you know, we'll expand our definition of sync licensing. We talk about sync licensing all the time. It's not just, you know, film, TV, you know, commercials, but, you know, games um, are are really big for music licensing. And as they point out, you know, interactive content like Peloton, you know, games like Roblox, pairing recorded music with, you know, corporate NFTs. You know, I agree, you know, sync licensing, it used to be years ago, Neil Young kind of railed against it, you know, having your music maybe in a in a commercial. And then I remember when iTunes was the major source of music, some of those commercials, you know, like with Feist or whoever, they would develop artists just by being, you know, that sync. Um, it's it's really really powerful, but now you have to think of sync outside of just film and TV. There are products like toothbrushes that have music. There are you know what I mean. Tons. There there's so many different ways that music can be a part of products and brands. And uh, I think they're spot on with uh, expanding the definition of sync licensing. Right, and then again, kind of playing on we were just talking about, there will be an AI music reckoning. They say we're going to hear a lot about AI, not just a a debate about whether AI tech diminishes or proves our value as human artists, but also how it impacts our attitudes towards ownership. What does copyright mean and how does ownership get claimed or shared in a future where you, a robot, and the robot's creator all helped make, in quotation marks, a piece of music? No idea what the answer is there, but we know in 2023 will be a year of strong debates. Couldn't agree more. And I think you and I are in 100% agreement with that statement. We talk a lot uh, offline about AI 
And in fact, before we hit record today, we talked a lot about AI. It's they are spot on. This is going to turn the music industry on its head. Yes. So we're going to be watching this really, really closely. Uh, the the next one, more people will embrace a creator first mindset. And again, I I tend to agree with most of what they're they're saying here. These guys are experienced guys. They they deal with this. They talk about for decades musicians have embraced or tolerated the idea that they must have other skills to succeed: copywriting, marketing, videography, <clears throat> editing, design, etc. But until recently, I felt like those endeavors were taken on as a means to an end. You know, to get people back to the music. In 2023, it'll be kind of a tipping point year where we see many people who used to think of themselves as artists first, finally accepting the role of creator and its own set of expectations and rewards. And I think that's really important. I think in order to be an artist today, um, you're doing other things and you have other skill sets, whether that's getting into short form video, whether it's you know graphic design or photography or you know, creating loops and beats. There's so it's, it's just so vast. It's not that simple era of maybe the seventies and eighties where you just wrote, record, toured, you know, and it was, it was so simple. Right, right. And I'm going to grab the last one here. This is an interesting one as well. They're saying parts of the metaverse this coming year will collapse. They say, will there be virtual carnage? No, but 2023 will be a year where both developers and users will reassess the best use cases for metaverse tech and how we want music to be a part of it. Oculus is cool for fantastical things like flying through clouds or boxing with Apollo Creed, but do you really want to use it to create music, fix a doorknob, or attend a work meeting? doubtful after a few more rounds of innovation maybe we'll want to spend all day in the metaverse but then they say but we think the more likely path for 2023 is it'll be a time to more clearly define when and why we want to be in the metaverse at all very interesting yeah. so really there's a few more that we didn't cover there but yeah really worth going back but and checking i mean out. we could spend hours talking about this but again uh, for kevin bruner chris rubley thank you so much you guys did such a great job with these predictions and usually when mike and i read predictions we look through there and we go yeah i don't think so um because sometimes it's pie in the sky or it's written by someone who's not really associated with the music industry closely but these two guys are Again, uh, check out CD Baby's uh, DIY Musician. Uh, fantastic stuff uh, from these guys. Yeah, exactly. And our last one, Jay, from Digital Music News, how to get your music on Spotify playlists, which apparently people want to do. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to guess, Jay, occasionally you get asked this, but this, this ugh, I can't even, I have marbles in my mouth today. That's I said, right. apparently, I'm going to guess that you occasionally get questions from artists about how to do just this. Yeah. And, you know, you've seen in your morning coffee, we, we sell coffee mugs and shirts that say a playlist is not a marketing plan. Are playlists important? Sure. They're absolutely important. <clears throat> but there's so much else to focus on um, to make sure that you have uh, a proper marketing plan, either for a release or a tour. And one of the things I wanted to make sure we pointed out <clears throat> this this how to get on music, how to get your music on Spotify playlist. This is by Caleb Murphy. Mm -hmm. Um, and it came out through Digital Music News. <clears throat> and it's it's interesting because I read a lot of these uh, articles of people saying, this is how you get on, 
playlist, whether it's Spotify, Apple Music, Pandora, Deezer, whatever, this is how you do it. I can tell you that the best way to get on playlists, and, and remember, there's basically two buckets I'm talking about here. One is DSP curated playlists. So, you know, uh, so when Apple Music or Spotify, you know, creates their own playlist, that's one type. And then there's the user curated where people like you and I might just have our favorite songs or different mood playlists. And so there's different approaches to those. The best resource that I've ever found is Mike Warner's book, uh, Work Hard, Playlist Mm -hmm. Hard. Um, and it's, he's on his second edition, which covers all of the, the DSPs and ways to get on both of those types of playlists, but it's really more about how to optimize. So I highly recommend that. So as I dug into Caleb's piece here, I found myself nodding a lot. Like he really did a good job of kind of grabbing the important things, um, in the Spotify algorithm. He doesn't say how he came about um, finding these things. And I can tell you that I've worked with some really smart people that don't guess or pretend that they know what's in the Spotify algorithm. And we're using Spotify because that's what he's using here <clears throat> is, you know, they listen to what Spotify says is in their algorithm. Right. And that could be on their website. It could be in their correspondence via email. It could be at developers conferences or music conferences. And so I'm going to read you from uh, some materials that we have um, in our business about what Spotify has said is in the Spotify algorithm. And the reason I'm doing this is because a lot of what uh, Caleb is saying here is, is spot on. Um, It is what they're saying. So for example, Um, this is what Spotify says is in their algorithm. Here are the basics, you know, spins. So you want to see, you know, if something's actually getting that engagement and people are playing it skips kind of obvious, right? If Mm -hmm. people are skipping your song. Um, I had heard one time that there's some playlists where you don't want to be in the top, uh, one or two songs because those get skipped the most as people are cooking dinner, working out, going on their commute. Uh, they start a playlist and they might skip the first couple of songs till they get to one that they like. Uh, adds to personal libraries and personal playlists, right? Uh, canvas videos. Um, Spotify will tell you that you need to have uh, uh, that eight-second looping canvas video um, that will help you. Um, optimizing your artist page, and I've, I've read this a lot where in, in Spotify, for example, you can add 140 uh, images. You can add your social links and your bio, and you control the banner and your artist image, and just making sure that that is optimized Um, some people have taken it a step further and made sure that, you know, they have their artist pick there. They've, they don't use the bio for an actual bio. They use it to swap out, um, personal, um, correspondence Mm -hmm. to their fan base, which is kind of interesting. So optimizing that artist page, um, discovery tracks, uh, an artist that you haven't heard, but Spotify thinks you'll like based on your, uh, your likes and dislikes, the tempo of the song and time of day. Uh, that you you listen. So those are some things. And Caleb mentions, I think, what are there, like maybe nine of these. So he has some of these. And he's absolutely right that, you know, Spotify is going to rank your engagement. Um, and the more likely it is to get on their algorithmic playlist, like, you know, radio, release radar, discover weekly, your daily mix. One of the reasons I think that's so important 
we always tell um, artists that you want to have two calls to action. You want to have much more than that, but make sure you have these two. One is, you know, subscribe to my YouTube channel so you're notified when we put out new videos. But the other is subscribe, or not subscribe, follow me on Spotify. And that's because when you release new music, it drops into these playlists, these algorithmic playlists that Caleb is talking about, like Radio Release Radar, Discover Weekly, etc. So I think that's really important. Can you see some of the, uh, like on page 36 mm -hmm. of our algorithm, do you have that in front of you? I do, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Ta it's... Talk about what, what Spotify searches, you know, from their nearly 5 billion playlists. Yeah, well, first of all, it scours the internet for relevant music, uh, press, sites, including music blogs, um, it, uh, adjectives in reviews, which I found very interesting. They, they, yeah. they Adjectives in reviews. Um, and as, as you guys are pointing out, kind of accuracy matters. Blogs are important, but music must be relevant to artists. Uh, the playlist you get into matter, getting into the on the wrong playlist can hurt you, which I find also very interesting. And one of the things that he mentioned on here, again, which is, you know, talking about this algorithm uh, and your music style, uh, style but, they, mm -hmm. but he says, if your music style is all over the place, you won't do as well on Spotify. And that got me to thinking about, well, you mean like the Beatles and Pink Floyd and Stevie Wonder? Those artists have music that, to my ears and and beliefs, is all over the place. So you would, I, yeah. I find that fascinating. So I mean, what what do you advise an artist who's adventurous and, uh, you, you know, how to how to how to um, how to kind of kind of make those those adventure, uh, adventurous yeah. music things work or not work for Spotify. Well, I think that now we're talking about Spotify because that's what Caleb is talking about. With Spotify, you use Spotify for artists and you pitch um, your songs uh, for playlists. And when you fill out that form, I think therein lies um, the opportunity and the issue. And if you're very honest, and I think you should be about the instrumentation on that track and the mood mm -hmm. and you know maybe the influence and all of those things, I think people run into problems where they try to game the system. Right. Right. But your Spotify, at least in their submission tool they they only really care about the track, not the album, not the EP. Mm -hmm. So, you know, once you're, you've submitted a track, the next time you submit a track, it sort of overwrites that previous one. You're only doing one track at a time. So that gives you that opportunity to focus on what that track really is as far as the genre, the mood, you know, where it would fit in playlists. And I remember a friend of mine um, paid one of those services to um, submit his music to user curated um, playlists. But the problem was, is it ended up on the wrong playlists. Right. It, you know, his music was really more indie funk and he ended up in one of the playlists, I think it was like a boy band playlist and it actually hurt his, um, streams. He could see his numbers go down and he quickly went to get those. So when, when Caleb mentions, you know, you want to be on the right playlist, you know, that's spot on. And in his, in his piece, he lists some places. Um, he said, here are a few websites that he uses to pitch music for kind of that user curated playlist consideration, right? Mm -hmm. Because there are places that you can pitch music to their network and it doesn't go against terms of service from the DSPs. You're not paying for placement. 
you're getting someone's opinion. And if they like it, maybe they'll add it to their college radio station or to their indie curated uh, playlist. One of them he lists is SubmitHub. And I've used SubmitHub. SubmitHub is a pay-to-submit platform for Spotify playlists, music bloggers, influencers, etc. You can submit for free, but by using the premium, which is paid credits, it bumps you to the front of the line. So playlist, you know, user curators hear your song first. And he's said that he's gotten several press write-ups and playlist inclusions through this. And that's true. I've seen, I've seen SubmitHub, uh, I've seen it work. You know, he lists some others that I haven't used like SoundPlate, um, I thought that was interesting. I'll, I'll check that out. You know, a daily playlist, you know, uh, this platform called daily playlist has a, a library of playlists added by curators, but again, it's okay to submit your music to user curators. And sometimes you can get a buzz from that because Spotify will see you getting more and more increased spins and these indie playlists that are, uh, um, user curated, you tend to stay on those playlists longer. Right. He ends this piece by saying the most important kind of playlist, the most valuable kind of Spotify playlist your song can get on, not surprising, are those made by your fans. These are personal playlists that people voluntarily added your music to. They're not aspiring professional music curators. They're just music lovers. It means your song resonated so deeply with them, they just had to add it to their carefully assembled playlist. When you see these playlists show up yeah. on your Spotify for Artists dashboard, feel encouraged. You're doing something right, so keep it up. And that's always what you want, right? Just Yeah, yeah. it was a good piece. Um, I agreed with much of, of what he had on there, and a lot of it was just based in... In fact, and they're not trying to, he's not trying to game the system. He's just trying to optimize for it. And there's a YouTube video that comes along with the story. Again, it, uh, it was in Digital Music News um, by Caleb Murphy. Uh, great job, Caleb. Um, I think there's some really good advice for f- developing artists who are trying to optimize for Spotify playlists. Absolutely. And on that note, Jay, it is time to wrap up the show. We do want to thank the Music Business Association, Banzoogle, Hypod, and Bands in Town for helping us make it happen every week could not do it without our wonderful sponsors so big thanks and uh jay what do you say we call it a day and go away and thank everyone for listening which we do every week we so appreciate folks that that listen in because without you we could not do this and we uh we do not take that for granted so on that note thanks for listening folks have a fabulous week and we will see you next time on the your morning coffee podcast You've been listening to Your Morning Coffee, the weekly music news program for the new music business. Join Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchard next time for the digital music news you need to know.